Acts 21, Part 3, from the sermon series, Acts the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Good morning, Metro, or good afternoon, Metro. And good afternoon to those in the nursery, to everyone watching in our online community. Thank you for joining us today. Um, one of the beautiful things, as you see these kids, some of them, like Christina, uh, my oldest, she started when she came to this church as a little baby. And one of the things we're finding here in this church is that there's still a lot more babies being born. And we have a ton of babies right now in the, in the nursery, some babies even in here. And I find that with babies, for every parent, uh, there are certain special moments for these babies. Parents, do you remember when your baby uttered their first word? Do you remember what it was? Now, some of you, it's been a while. You're like, I don't remember. It's okay. Don't feel guilty about it. But for some of you parents, you know you were trying to get your kid to say a certain word, your baby to say a certain word. And I think it was very different from the mother and from the father, right? And so what do you think a mom would want the first words to be of their child? Mom or mommy, right? And then for the dad, you definitely wanted your child to say, daddy. Just do a poll here if you remember. How many of you dads accomplished the hard task of having your babies say daddy before they said mommy. Let me see your hands. Oh boy, you guys need some work. That was just three of you? All right, how many was mommy? Was mommy the first word? All right, oh man. So no, no, it's like three, it's like a tie. It, I don't know, maybe I'm like sort of out of touch because I remember like I would like feed my kids and be like, daddy, 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 trying to brainwash them to say daddy, right? And so your kids will stay the first words and sometimes those become like those monumental times in their life. There's also a word I think our kids, our babies learn, but it's unlearned. They never learned it from us, but somehow innately within them, they say the word, exactly, no. Like, you don't teach him it, but they learn no. Like, my kids' first words were no. No. Now they're professionals at saying no. They're older. They're teenagers now. Right? We tell them to, to clean their room. No, we're not going to clean their room. Right? We tell them to go do the dishes. No, I don't want to do the dishes. Do your homework. No. My wife and I literally have to threaten their lives for them to say yes. I mean, it's that difficult. But we find that even as a baby, their very first unlearned word that will come out of their mouth will be no. I think that tells us a lot about our souls, sometimes what's in within us. And when you think about it, it doesn't change much when we become adults. In fact, sometimes it could even be worse. That when we say no to people, when people ask us for certain things, a lot of times we'll just say no. Or for some of you, no is too harsh. So you know what you say? Maybe. <laughs> your maybe is a no. Or if you're more spiritual than that, you know what your no's would be? I'll pray about it. <laughs> Let me pray about it. I'm like, come on, man. That's a no, man. Don't say, you say no. Let's not say you're going to pray about it. Right, let me pray about it. I, and if we are so conditioned, even when you look at a little baby, they're conditioned somehow just to say no before they can say yes. How often do we say no to God? How often do we say no to him before we actually say yes, Lord? I think so many times when you see it, it's such a disproportionate amount of us going before God and saying, no, Lord, I can't do it. I won't do it before we can actually say yes, Lord. And when that happens, what begins to happen is that our faith becomes diluted and Christianity no longer becomes a relationship with God, but it becomes a religion. The more you and I say no, Lord, the more distant God becomes. And the more we begin to realize and even wonder if he's even there. 
And some of you don't even know this, but you've been saying no, Lord, for such a long time. Some of you have actually become professionals at saying no to God. And it's got to stop. Because if you continue to this trajectory of saying no to God, saying no, Lord, then there's going to be no difference between you and people who aren't followers of Jesus. I call that secularizing your faith. When you secularize your faith, you utter with your mouth that you say you're a follower of Jesus, but when you look at your actions, you're just the same. You get just as angry as them. You get just as jealous as those people who don't believe in Jesus. You are just as unwilling to forgive people who've hurt you, like those people who say they're not followers of Jesus Christ. You gossip just like them. We, can, we tend to be just like them. The more we say no, the more secular our faith becomes. And we have to learn to stop saying no. Because the more we say no, the more hopeless our lives become. The more we say no, the more distant God becomes. And the more we say no, sometimes we even struggle to sleep at nights because there is no rest, there is no peace. Today, as we continue in our series in Acts chapter 21, we're gonna finish that chapter. Then we're gonna hit the next 21 verses in chapter 22. And what Paul the apostle is gonna do for us is that he's gonna teach you one of the most profound things that you can leave here with. That from this day forward, my hope and prayer for all of you in this room, you will no longer say no to the Lord, but you will learn to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I will do it, yes, Lord. That we no longer will be comfortable in saying no to him. I know we were conditioned. I know as a little child we started saying no, but that if we can, like what Kyle just shared, that he found true joy and happiness through these little kids, if we can learn to say yes, Lord, there is a gateway, there is an opening that God wants to show you that is beautiful, wonderful, and not so easy as well, but it's worth it. It really is worth it. Paul says yes, Lord, to Jesus Christ, and it changes his life forever. He is still, till this day, by historians, secular historians as well, the greatest influencer this world has ever known. He's number one. Nobody even comes close to him. Through him was birthed the Gentile church. And if you aren't Jewish, guess what? You are Gentile. We all are Gentile. We wouldn't be sitting here today if Paul didn't say yes to Jesus. And he didn't birth the first Gentile church. And eventually, 2,000 years later, we get to sit and experience God's love in a beautiful way. I wonder how much our lives could be transformed today if we can say yes to Jesus. I wonder how the life of our church could be transformed if we all collectively can say yes, Lord. Our church would not be the same today. So today, will you say yes to Jesus? How do we do it? How do we say yes to Jesus? The answer to that is found in Acts chapter 21. So turn with me to Acts 21. We'll look at verses 37 and following. Acts 21, 37 and following. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, now just understand what's happening here because we looked at this last Sunday. Paul was beaten by the Jewish mob. He's literally half dead, dripping in blood, probably unable to stand by himself with his own strength. That's how bad he was wounded, all right? And this is what's happening here. So let's just kind of immerse ourselves into the situation, all right? Paul says to the commander, may I say something to you? The commander was shocked. He said, do you speak Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? He had him confused. Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus 
in Cilicia, a city of no ordinary, a, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions, my companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all the people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were, who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lord, for so long, so many of us in this room, including myself, we just naturally say no to you. I pray today that would stop. I pray for all of us in this room. You'd give us the courage and the boldness and the fortitude to live our lives starting today where we will always say yes, Lord. So I pray that you would help us, speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray you would fall in this room I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would be heavy, would have a lot of weight so that it can penetrate the hearts of even the hardest one that's here today. God, would you be glorified? Would you be glorified today in such a way that everyone in this room would say, yes, Lord, whatever it is you want, I will do. I will obey. So God, be with us. Thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. When we say yes, Lord, what we are declaring is that we are going to be obedient to God. None of this is new for you. You all know obedience is sort of the, the primal thing of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't obey God so that we can be accepted. That is not why we obey him, because we've already been accepted because of Jesus' death and resurrection. The gospel message teaches us that. Every other religion teaches that in order for you to be accepted by God, you've got to obey a certain set of rules or doctrines, right? The Jewish people started, uh, did this as well. But Christianity 
is very different. Christianity teaches us that because Christ came 2,000 years ago and he died for us on the cross and resurrected from the dead, we have already been accepted by God. Amen? That is something that should cause you and I to say, hallelujah, thank the good Lord. And so then why do we need to obey him? We just obey him because he's already accepted us. And we get to live under the beauty and the bounty of what that's like, living under the acceptance of God. And so we just obey him out of that acceptance. And so in the, in the Bible, the word uh, obey, in the NIV translation, appears over 200 times. In some of your translations, it appears over 600 times. But when you combine that word to obey, or the, another synonymous word in the Greek is to follow. We're talking thousands of times those two words appear in the Bible. And so it is a very important thing. The holiest thing that you and I could do today is to say, yes, Lord. It's to say, yes, it's one of the holiest things to obey him so that we can experience the richness of life that can be found through his acceptance. I want to share with you a couple a couple passages of scripture that really talk about the, 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 the primacy of obedience here. Look at Proverbs 3, 6. Look at what it says here. In all your ways, obey him, then he will make your path smooth and straight. When you obey God, he will make your path smooth and straight. How many of you sometimes feel like as you're living life, you're going through like, like a maze? There are so many turns that you're, you're making because just the path is just so jagged. Well, when you and I commit ourselves to saying, yes, Lord, he's going to make our path smooth and straight. Luke eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now, the, another word for the word blessed in the Greek is the word happy. Same thing. He says that when you and I can say yes to the Lord, to Jesus, we are going to be happy. That true joy is found. John 14, 23, a beautiful, beautiful promise. Look what Jesus says here to every single one of us. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and will come to them and make our home in them, with them. Isn't that beautiful? That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit will make their home in us when we choose to say yes to the Lord, when we choose to obey him. First John 2, 5, he says, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. When you and I commit ourselves to saying yes, Lord, the love of God is made complete in us. Isn't that awesome? That's a powerful truth. Last, last one I promise, Matthew seven twenty one. This is sort of a warning that Jesus gives. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so this idea of saying yes, Lord, is so critical for us because if we don't say yes, Lord, and obey him, then what happens over time is that our faith in God just becomes more of a religion. And when you and I say yes to the Lord, one of the most beautiful things that happens to us when we obey him is that some of us, we say, well, I want to say yes so that I can get more blessings. Uh, I, I, it can happen that way. I, I'm not saying it doesn't. You might get more blessings. God may bless you with certain things when you obey him. That happens for sure. You see that in the Bible a lot. But here's the thing what happens when you and I say yes more. This is the reason why you and I should always say yes, Lord. You know what we get more of? Jesus. That's all. That's all you get. Is that enough for you? Some of you are like, well, I don't know about that. Maybe I need a little bit more. Talk to me a little bit more. You know, when you and I say, yes, Lord, we're surrendering ourselves to Jesus. It's important that you surrender to God, not that you resign to him. When you resign, when you have a spirit of resignation to Jesus, there's no power in that. God doesn't want you to resign. 
He doesn't want you to just give up. That's not the kind of surrender that God wants you to do. When you resign, what often happens is that you feel that God is distant and you sometimes even question if God's there. When we surrender to God, meaning we surrender ourselves and we surrender to him through obedience, as we say, yes, Lord, you know what happens? God fills us with his power. That's the beauty of this. And so when we say, yes, Lord, we not only experience the love of God, but the love of God is power. And it begins to sort of emanate in our lives and emanate outward into the lives of other people. And we begin to change. We begin to see things differently. God begins to even touch the wounds and heal us in ways that we never thought he could. We start to feel truly, truly complete if we begin to say, yes, Lord. And so how can we do that? Because a lot of us, we just have a natural tendency to say, no, Lord. How do we get to the place where we can say, yes, Lord, all right? Uh, There are three things that we learn in this passage. The first is this. In order for us to say, yes, Lord, we have to first be willing to say no to our traditionalism. In order for you to say yes to Jesus, you got to first say no to your traditionalism. The Jews literally wanted to kill Paul. Why? Because he threatened their traditionalism. He threatened everything that they knew and believed about God. And because he was such a threat to their tradition, they wanted to kill him. And they did a very good job. If it wasn't for the Roman soldiers that came and interrupted it, he would have died that day. Their tradition led them to a place where they couldn't say yes to Jesus and it prevented them because the laws at the end of the day implies and points to Jesus Christ. Paul teaches that. But they couldn't because they were, so, they were so deeply connected to their tradition and as a result of that, they couldn't experience God in a new and a fresh way. How much of your tradition envelops you in such a way, prevents you from experiencing and encountering Jesus in a new and a fresh way? Hey, there's nothing wrong with growing up in your tradition. I think it's fantastic that you grew up Presbyterian. I think it's fantastic that you grew up a Methodist, a Summers of God, or Baptist, or even Catholic. Whatever tradition you grew up in, I think that's great. It's wonderful. But if you embrace it too much, you end up putting God in a box. And what happens is that you begin to say no to him. And that's what happened to these Jewish people. Even Paul was susceptible to it. Look what it says in verse 3. Paul did this for a while. He said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city. I studied in the Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous or traditional for God as any of you today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul was susceptible to this. Paul lived in tradition in such a way where it prevented him from encountering God in a new and a fresh way. And if it wasn't for the Damascus experience, when he was on that road, he would have never been able to wake up and realize the beauty and the glory of who God is through Jesus Christ. And if we don't let go of our tradition, if we, if we, it's okay to appreciate it and learn from it, but if we don't let go of it, if you hold on to it so tightly, then my friends, you will say no to God more than you say yes to him. And it's so sad because for so many of us, we can't encounter God in a new way because of how we grew up, our tradition. In college, I was a part of a, a, a Christian ministry, a parachurch ministry. It's called Chi Alpha. It's not a fraternity, but uh, it was like inner varsity, campus crusade for Christ, navigators. If you've been a part of that, that's what this ministry was, was, was about. And it was a part of the Assemblies of God Church. Now, if you know anything about AG, AG, very charismatic. 
I went in there and uh, again, not, I grew up Methodist. I didn't have any background, but I loved it. I loved the people. The people were awesome. My, my fellow college friends and stuff like that. It was just great to be with them. It was a multi-ethnic community. It was so good. There were times where people were being prophetic over me and that was really great to hear prophetic words. Uh, my uh, leaders would pray for me and I got the gift of tongues and uh, the, speaking in tongues is like a spiritual language that you can speak with God. It's a powerful thing. I spoke in tongues. There were moments when people prayed for me and I was, we call it slain in the Holy Spirit. I fell over and I was slain in the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you know what that is, being slain in the Holy Spirit. You see it on TV. Sometimes they, people pray for them and people fall over. Sometimes you're thinking, come on, that's fake. That's, that's not real. The pastor's like pushing him down like that. Of course somebody's going to fall down when you do that. You might as well punch him in the face, right? And so, and so you don't even think it's real. But let me tell you, it's real. That when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in such a way, sometimes you don't have the strength to stand up. You just fall. And when you fall, that is what it's called to be slain in the Spirit. And then the Spirit just falls upon you and it's awesome. Awesome. Anyone ever been slain in the Spirit before? All right. All right. Hopefully more of you, maybe, who knows? You got to be open to it. But here's the problem. When I was in college, there was some really corrupt leadership with, our, with the pastor. And because of that, I graduated being really hurt by some of the things that he did to me personally. And for me, I sort of saw that as a representation of the charismatic movement that I did not appreciate. And so because of that, what I ended up doing was I put God in a box. And when I started this church, I said, you know what? I'm going to pray in tongues when I'm by myself at home. But I am not going to let that happen here at church on Sundays. I'm going to sort of put God in a container. And there ain't no way we're going to lose control in this service. And that's how I sort of did it. And I did it really well for the past 15 years. So many of you know that I went to, I, I started my doctoral program uh, in July and at Alliance Theological Seminary. And it was this eight day intensive for one class. And the first day of class, I, I, I can't, I, I don't know why. The first day of class, the professor gives a teaching. I thought it was pretty good. It touched me, but then he's like, I, I wanna pray for everyone. I just want God to bless you for this week. Just stand. Everyone stood up. And as I started, he didn't come to me yet. I'm like, what's going on here? Like, why am I, f I'm getting ready to fall. I said, I can't fall on the first day of class. This is embarrassing. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, right? I knew that when this guy comes over and lays hands on me, I'm going to fall. Nobody else is falling. Again, he's not going crazy. He's just saying, God bless these people. Bless, you know, Kyle first week of school, you know, but that's all he's doing. And I knew I was going to go down as I sensed the spirit moving. And so you know what I did? I held the table like this and he prayed for me and I prayed like this because I didn't want to go down the first day. It's embarrassing. Cause I ain't going down. I'm not going down. And so I didn't. I said, no, Lord. I think God wanted me to go down, but I said, no, Lord. My tradition prevented me from going down. Seriously, it just, I just said no. Because some of you have been hurt by some of your traditions. And as a result, it's really, really allowed you to put God in a box. The last, the eighth day of school, the professor, the two professors wanted to pray a prayer of impartation on all of us. One-on-one. -on -one. I knew I was going to go down. <laughs> I knew I didn't have a chance. And they knew that on this day, when they pray for people, this prayer of impartation, a lot of people do go down. So they have people catch you. Right? So I'm so glad that my classmate, Kyle, big guy from Canada, right? he was there to catch me. And I was like, thank God. Thank God it's Kyle. Because right? I know I'm going to go down. And so I'm, I'm standing, and I know I'm going to go down. And uh, 
I just, Kyle didn't realize I was going to go down that fast. I recorded it on audio. I fell, I didn't know I was going to fall this fast. 18 seconds, I was slaying the spirit. Kyle's just back there, because it takes at least a few minutes before that happens. And he's just looking, I guess he was just looking away. And I fall, and I'm thinking, Kyle going to catch me. Boom, he doesn't catch me. 220 pounds of my humanity just falls on the ground. I land all, all that weight on my elbow, and I am just throbbing in pain. I mean, it is so painful, but I'm going to be honest with you. At that moment, I didn't feel the pain as much as I felt the Holy Spirit just moving in my heart. And I already tell you that I have a spiritual language that I speak in, but he gave me a new language. He gave me a new tongue to speak. And every time I speak in that tongue, there's like a fire in my soul that just doesn't stop. And my professor kneeled, and you know what he prayed for me? He said, this is a man who's gone through so much and lived his life in so much shame. May that shame be transformed into your love. I mean, it was overwhelming, guys. I was down there, and I felt the spirit of God. My elbow still hurts today, and uh, when it hurts, it just reminds me I was slaying the spirit, and afterwards we went out for lunch, and I'm like, Kyle, come on, man, what happened? And he goes, dude, you fell so fast. I didn't know, I'd never seen anyone fall so fast. I was like, come on, you gotta be, pay attention. My elbow hurts. Oh, gosh. I'm not light. And so, what I want you to know is simply this. I don't know what tradition you grew up in, and some of you have grown up in certain traditions where I've told you not to encounter God in new and fresh ways. You've got to lay that at the altar. And you've got to let God be God in your life. And what that means is he doesn't have any boundaries. When you take him out of the box and when you let him run havoc in your life and love on you in a way that you probably you haven't experienced so much. God is not a God of like proper and order all the time. He's a God who wants to unleash himself to you so much so that as you experience it, you could be like Paul. Even though you're half dead, you can go and state your defense about who you are before the Lord Jesus Christ. Let go of your tradition today because your tradition many times is preventing you from saying, yes, Lord. So what tradition do you have to lay down today before the Lord? Second, second, we say yes, Lord, when we say no to our ambitions. In order for you to say yes to Jesus, you have to say no first to your ambitions. Look at Paul's ambition. Look at verse 17. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr, Stephen, was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul had expressed to God his personal ambition to stay in Jerusalem and to witness to the Jews considering his amazing background. He has a unique background. Paul went to the Harvard of Pharisee school. He was tutored on the Gamaliel. He had it all. I mean, it made absolute sense to go and witness and be the par excellent witness to the Jews. And Paul thought that was the best thing to do. Paul had that ambition. What did God say? No, 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 you're not going to do that. I want you to go to the Gentiles. You're going to go and minister to Gentiles. We find that in Acts that God continues to deal with Paul's sort of ambitions and, and he kind of has to curb them many times. Remember in chapter 16 when Paul wanted to go to Asia Minor, he had it all set. And then the Spirit said, no, you're not going there, Paul. You're going to a different place. 
I need you to go to a different place. You got to reroute your, 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 your order of where you want to go. And so we find that for God, God dealt with Paul's personal ambitions many times so that he can say yes to him. And listen, if you and I are going to ever get to a place where we can say yes to Jesus, we're going to have to honestly lay down and say no to our ambitions. What are your ambitions in your life? Some of your ambitions could be godly like Paul because God's because Paul's ambition was very godly. But here's the problem. His ambitions, like many of us, become more important than God sometimes. And when your ambitions become more important than God, you're always going to say no to Jesus because those ambitions are more important. And so what ambitions will you lay down today? How do you know if, if your ambitions have become more important to God? How are you holding those ambitions right now? Are you holding with a kung fu grip? No one can grab onto it. Or do you hold it with loose hands? When you hold it with loose hands, you're basically saying to God, you can take it if you want, because I don't need it. I just want you. That's when you know you're holding your ambitions with loose hands rather than with tight hands. And so what ambitions today do you have? Will you hold it light, lightly, loosely, and, and with, with, with little weight in your hands so that if God were to say he wants you to surrender it, you would simply surrender it unto him? You see, I find that for a lot of us, because we're Americans, we have so much ambition in our lives, and our ambitions many times prevent us to say yes to God. And so what are those ambitions? Will you give up your ambition today to get married? Now, I know, hey, marriage is a good thing. It's beautiful to get married. God created marriage. But has it become more important than God? Has your desire to get married become more important than God? Will you lay it down? Is your ambition to have kids? Not wrong with having kids. Kids are fantastic. They're gifts. They're blessings. But maybe it's been a while and you've been trying and you haven't been able to have any kids and that ambition has become more important than God himself. And in fact, that ambition has caused you to get, caused you to get very angry and bitter towards God. Would you give up your ambition to have children? Would you give up the ambition... Well, a lot of us, our ambitions are our children, the ones who do have them. Maybe God may want you to surrender it because they've become more important. Your children have become more important to you than God himself. And when that happens, you cannot be a good parent. You're actually going to be a destructive parent when your kids become more important than God himself. You can never learn to love your kids the proper way unless you can let go and give your kids to God. Will you lay down your ambitions to be successful? Some of you want to be successful. And again, nothing wrong with wanting to be successful, but would you lay it down before the Lord and say, you know what, if I am, that's great. If not, it's okay, God. Some of you, your passion for success has almost killed you. It's killed some of those deep relationships in your life that even till this day you regret because they no longer are there for you anymore. Your ambition for success has caused you to say no to God and live in disobedience? Will you lay it down? Will you give up your ambition to trying to heal people of their wounds so that God can begin to heal yours? Sometimes I find that people who are deeply wounded want to heal other people's wounds so they don't have to focus on their own. Will you lay down your ambition to want to heal other people's wounds so that God can heal yours? yours? Will you lay down your ambition to be loved and liked so much I mean, sometimes that ambition to be loved and liked is so great that we end up saying no to God all the time 
because we want to be loved and liked. Could you imagine if Jesus wanted to be loved and liked all the time? He would not be able to sleep at nights because he had a lot of enemies. Why do you have to be liked so much? Why do you have to have the approval of everyone? Would you give that up and just be yourself? Be who God created you to be. Will you give that up? Will you give up your need to having to be strong all the time and pretend that you have everything together, your life all together? Will you give up that ambition to pretend that everything is good when in reality your life is actually an utter mess? Would you give up your ambitions? Will you lay them down before God? Would you even give up your godly ambitions? Maybe some of you want to do great ministry. Would you hold it loosely before God? If we can't say no to our ambitions, it's going to be very hard for us to say yes to God regularly in our lives. Paul, at one point in his life, had realized that though he has ambitions and he has a lot because he was a type A personality, he said, I'm never going to hold that ambition so tightly that it's going to prevent me from saying yes to Jesus. And so he held it with loose hands. What are your ambitions in life today? Will you hold it with loose hands? Because when you do that, you can say yes to Jesus. You can say yes to Jesus. The third and last thing, in order for us to say yes to Jesus, to say yes, Lord, we need to be able to say no for our need for comfort. We need to say no for our need for comfort. For Paul to leave Jerusalem to go into Gentile territory was extremely uncomfortable. He had never done that before. Now he's supposed to live a completely different kind of a lifestyle, eat foods that he'd never ate before, just get away from his own home area. It was incredibly uncomfortable. But he gave up his need for comfort so that he could follow Jesus and say, yes, Lord. I'm telling you, I think out of the three, perhaps the greatest one that you and I will always struggle with is our need for comfort. We're Americans. We need comfort. We have chairs that are called what? Lazy boys. <laughs> comfort is everything. When everything begins to be uncomfortable, we get very upset and angry. We are conditioned to live in comfort in this country. Service has to be comfortable for us. God forbid we wait a little bit longer at a gas station at Costco's. I mean, things like that. Everything is about comfort for us. And we're never going to be able to say yes to Jesus if we don't give up our need for comfort. Could you imagine Ananias? Remember when Paul says, well, Ananias came and touched me and I was able to see. Remember that exchange with Ananias and God? When God said, hey, Ananias, you got to go and uh, go minister to this guy, Saul. Ananias said, are you crazy? Like, are you crazy? This guy going to kill me or put me in prison. I'm not going to do that. And God said, no, you got to do it. And Ananias had to get to the point where he's going to say, do I say yes to Jesus or do I say no and just embrace my need for comfort? And what did he do? He said yes. Could you imagine some of these biblical characters, if they actually said no to Jesus, what would have happened? Because they could have said no to him because of their need for comfort. I mean, think about, most, uh, think about uh, Abraham. I mean, Abraham got sort of the, the blessing from God saying, you're going to be the father of many. See all those little grains on the sand? You can, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Right? He said, now I want you to go to a whole foreign land. And Abraham's like, what? Where do you want me to go? I don't know any other place. He says, I need you to go there. I need you to go there. And he says, but God, you're telling me that I'm going to be the father of many, but I don't even have a kid yet. And God says, just trust me. Will you give up your need for comfort so that I, so that I could begin to show you the promise of what could happen in your life? And he does. He does, he goes, and as he goes, 
Sarah eventually gives birth at age 90 to his son, Isaac. How about Moses? Moses was in his mid-80s, just minding his own business at the desert, tending to his livestock. All of a sudden, he sees a burning bush in the desert. It's not an unusual thing to see a burning bush in the desert. That's not very miraculous. That happens in the desert all the time. He sees his burning bush, and God says, hey, Moses, guess what? I'm sending you back to Egypt, your homeland. And uh, my people, your people, our people, have been crying out for 400 years, and uh, I, don't want that. I don't want them to cry anymore. I'm going to use you to lead them out of Egypt. And what does, God, what does Moses say? And this is what I love about God, because he lets you kind of vent a little bit. He lets you share your need for comfort. He goes, I can't do that. I have a speech impediment. I'm 85. I'm old. I can't do that. And God says, yes, you can. I'll be with you. And then he goes. And God uses him. He says, yes, Lord. He gives up his need for comfort. And, let you, and mind you, Moses was a fugitive. He was wanted for murder. And God says, stop. It's not about you being comfortable. It's about you saying yes to me. How about Mary, 12 years old, engaged to marry Joe. And uh, 12 years old, getting ready, engaged, excited about the marriage. And then the angel says, hey, Mary, why don't you, you want to give birth to the Messiah? She's like, what? Well, I mean, I, I can't. I'm a virgin. I can't do it. I said, well, we can help you with that. <laughs> what do you think? You know what Mary's thinking? If that happens, Joe ain't going to marry me. He's going to leave me. And if that happens, I, I won't survive. Because when a woman has a child out of wedlock, it's worse than having leprosy in that society. Women couldn't survive without a man back in those days. I mean, a man secured their comfort and their security. And this young little girl at the end gave up her need for comfort and said, yes, I'll do it. How about Jesus at Gethsemane? He didn't want to die. He's like, God, is there any other way? Is there, is there a way that's more comfortable because it's too hard? And God said, no. You got to give up your need for comfort. And he does. And he dies for us on the cross. If you and I are ever going to get to a place where we can say, yes, Lord, we're going to have to say no for our need for comfort. Now, I don't know about you, but I love comfort. I hate living in this comfort. And I think out of the three, this is the one I struggle with the most. When I think about it, think about the way, like we love comfort so much. Think about the way you pray for your kid. Think about how you pray for them. A lot of your prayers are focused on that God would make their lives comfortable. I think about it, God, you know, please let them go to Africa and not get hurt. God, I pray, God, that they would, you know, get into a good college, get a good job and never struggle and be able to be successful. Think about all the comfort prayers we give to our children. When you look at the Bible and you realize when God wants us to say, yes, Lord, we have to give up our need for comfort. I, I spoke to my kids this week and I said, guys, I'm no longer going to pray that God would give, bring you comfort in your life. No more. No more. I'm going to pray that God would take you places where you're going to experience this comfort and you're going to go through hardships, but you're going to be able to go through that so that you can experience the depth of God's love for you. We pray for comfort for our kids. That's even more messed up when you think about it because we have such a deep need for comfort. And the more comfort you want in your life, I am telling you right now, the more no you will say to Jesus than yes. And so what comfort will you surrender to Jesus today so that you can say yes, Lord? What comfort is it? What is the comfort that God wants you to lay down today? 
so that you can experience Jesus in a powerful way. I'm gonna say something that's really unpopular. It's not very popular in the church today. A lot of us, we think that being a Christian is being on a mountaintop and experiencing Jesus 24-7, and it's like amazing. It's awesome. You're, you're literally getting drunk in the spirit. I mean, it's just awesome. We think that's what the Christian life is, that God's going to be with you every second. He's going to just bless you every single day of your life. I'm here to tell you, if that's how you see Christianity, you're nothing but a spiritual glutton. That's not Christianity. That's not the kind of faith that I see in the Bible because what faith is that yes, God may give you those moments where you experience him in a very deep and fresh way but more importantly, God will also take you through the doldrums of life, through hardships, through times when you say yes to him and it's not gonna lead to prosperity. It's gonna be hard, it's gonna be challenging but in the midst of it, you're gonna see the very hand of God saving you in times where you feel like you're going to drown. Like Peter experienced the hand of God reaching down when he was drowning, when he was walking on water for just a few seconds. And then as he started drowning, he was the only one out of the 12 in that boat that experienced the very hand of Jesus saving him and lifting him out of the water. Christianity is about you and I saying, yes, Lord. And the more we say yes, the more closer God gets to be in our lives and the more we get to hear his voice and his voice becomes even louder and clearer to us. But the reason why a lot of us, you can't hear God's voice is because your life has been a consecutive of no's to Jesus. And the more you say no to him, the more distant he becomes and then you can't hear him anymore. And you know, sometimes you hear people say, you know, God told me this. You're like, God doesn't tell you that. God don't tell me that. I don't ever hear that. The reason, probably the reason why you don't hear it is because you keep saying no to him. And I think some of your no's are really uh, there's some depth to it. There's some innocence to it. But you gotta just say, yes, I'm gonna trust in you, Lord. I'm gonna trust in you. So when I was back in school, uh, I knew that our church right now, we're participating in 21 days of fasting and praying, and it's been really great. We're, I think, on day 15 today. And uh, if you have not signed up, go on our website or on our app and just sign up for a day if you can. It'll be great. But when I was in school, uh, we had a time, just some break time, and I was just kind of in, in, in this prayer chapel and just praying. And, uh, and as I was praying, uh, I was really praying that God would do a lot of great things during the 21 days of fasting here for our church, that as we come together as a community to do it, some really cool things would happen. And uh, so I prayed for that. And during that time, um, I just felt God saying, hey, uh, you want to pray for all, and fast for all 21 days? I said, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. That's a, lot, that's a lot of days. I was like, I did that back in, when I was in my early 30s. I can't, I can't go three weeks without eating. It's just, you guys know how much I love food. I, I just, it, was, it was an immediate no. I just, God, I can't. I'll do one, two, maybe three days, but I, I can't go 21. It's just too much. And uh, he said, you know, I'll be with you. And he, and he said, and, and didn't you one day in your prayer journal, you wrote years ago that you wanted to fast 40 days one day for me? I said, oh, oh yeah, yeah, but you know, that's, that's later down the road. Will you do 21 days? I was like, well, I got to talk to the head of the household, my wife first. And so I, I asked her, I said, hey, uh, can I fast for 21 days? And she goes, no. I was like, why? She goes, because you're too old now. <laughs> She goes, you did it when you were in your early 30s, but you're old. You can't handle it anymore. You don't have the stamina to do that. I said, you know, I think God will be with me. And you know how much I love food, so I just need to kind of embrace this kind of discomfort in my life. And she said, okay. And I said, all right. And so I decided to. So 15th day, but this past Thursday, 
God will have you. He's an interesting guy. But it's been going great. I got to be honest. I mean, my desire for God is greater than my desire for food. Uh, although this Wednesday was a little bit hard. So I was at the Yankee game, and everyone who sat behind me were eating French fries. And I could smell it. And that, oh, man, that was, that was hard. That was hard. But, um, but on Thursday, I felt God just challenging me and saying, how's it going? I said, it's going great. My desire for you is greater than my desire for food. Well, how about you extend it to 40? I just said, oh, he's like, you, you, you wanted to do it. I don't know about that. That's, that's, that's a lot. I said, well, let me, let me talk to the wife. And so, you know what I did? I cleaned the entire house. I vacuumed. I cooked dinner. I did all the dishes. I cleaned the stove. I took the Brillo and I scrubbed it to make sure it's really clean. Because I know she would say no. Because she doesn't want me to fast 40 days. That's long. And so she came home. She goes, why did you do all this? You're fasting. You don't have the strength. I said, I promise you, I will not use my fasting as an excuse not to do the chores around the house. I will cook. I will do the, my, the cleaning that I said I would do while, when I usually eat. But I need you to let me fast for 40 days. And she goes, are you crazy? I said, let me just, God wants to continue to speak to me. And that was the thing, because I just said, God, why, why, do you want me to, why do you want me to keep doing this? And he just said, there's some things I need to continue to show you and teach you. I said, well, can't you do that while I'm eating? You don't, I mean, you raised Jesus from the dead. You don't, you don't need me to fast to show me and teach me some things. And he said, yeah, yeah, I do. I need you to give up that discomfort and just trust in me because I got you. And so I said, all right, we'll see how it goes. But I tell you what, it's been a roller coaster. It's been an amazing experience. Last Friday, not this Friday, but last Friday, um, uh, four of us went to Christ Church in Rockaway, New Jersey. I went there for my doctoral class. Uh, we went there to kind of evaluate the church. And, and I was going to do an all-night prayer meeting anyway during the 21 days of fasting and praying because I, I did that in college and I wanted to do it. I was going to do it in my basement just by myself. But the church had an all-night prayer meeting. And so I just said, well, I'm going to go to it. So I opened it up to my staff and to our elders. And four of us went, and I was so happy. We got there at 9.30 p.m. on a Friday night. We stayed till 6 a.m., and it was fantastic. We were tired, but it was fantastic. But the first few hours, I didn't want to sit with the guys. I just went to the front of the altar by myself, just sitting in the, in the front of the sanctuary. And no words were coming out. The only thing, it was just, I was kind of moaning. I don't know why. I couldn't, and no words would form. I just want the Spirit just to kind of speak to me. And all of a sudden, after a little while, the words, yes, Lord, just kept coming out. And the only, the only prayer that I prayed for the next three hours was just those two words, yes, Lord. And the guys that were sitting behind me, because they were way back, they probably thought I was crazy because I was yelling that at the top of my lungs. I was screaming it. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And it was just, there was just this freedom as it was happening. And the reason why I was doing that was because God had shown me that for so long in my life, I had said no to him. And because of that, that's why I struggle so much in certain areas of my life. That I'm so good at saying no to him. And so for me, for those three hours, when I prayed and I shouted at the top of my lungs, I said, God, I'm never going to say no to you anymore. I'm going to say yes to you every time. And I know I'm going to fall and I'm going to make a mistake. I'll say no to you at times, but I'll get right back up and I'll make sure I say yes again. I say no to them all the time. Like if I see somebody hurting and they're like, you know, and I feel like I want to pray for them, but sometimes I'll say no. You know why? Because if I pray and they don't get healed, I feel bad. It's like the result. I'm afraid of the results. There are certain things that I find that I'm conditioned to say no first before I say yes. 
And that's why I, I write in my prayer journal every day now, and before I end my prayer journal, I just say, God, today I will say yes, Lord. Whatever you want me to do, I will say yes, Lord. And it's been freeing, it's been humbling, it's been an adventure. And I hope that God would call you on this adventure as well. The adventure of saying yes, Lord, rather than saying no to him. So will you give up your traditionalism today? Will you say no to that? Will you say no to your need for comfort and will you say no to your ambitions so that you can say yes to our Jesus and allow our Jesus to be the king of your life? Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. What is preventing you from saying yes to Jesus today? Is it your tradition? Is it your ambition? Or is it your need for comfort? I'm gonna ask you to just surrender that to God right now. So that you can say yes to him. Give you a brief moment to do that and I'm gonna pray for us. Maybe you're here today and um, the most important thing of you saying yes, Lord, is if you've never said yes to him in your life, you've never opened your heart to him. Maybe you're not even a Christian, but somebody invited you to come today. And if you've never said yes to him, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that today. If you wanna say yes, Jesus, yes, Lord, and you've never said that before in your life to him, would you please say this prayer quietly where you are, Lord Jesus, Today I say yes, come into my life, enter into my heart, make a home there with the Father. And may you allow yourself to work in such a way where I can say yes to you every day of my life. God, I pray that you would forgive me of all of my sins and wash me white as snow. And would you help me to learn more about you through this church, through your word, through the community of God. If you've prayed that prayer, there is a party going on in heaven on your behalf. I want you to know that. God, we have said no to you so much. We've said no to you out of a sense of our own need for comfort. We have said no to you because of our tradition in which we grew up in. And some of us have been so hurt by that tradition so that we don't even wanna go back to it ever again. We have said no to you because of our ambitions that we hold so tightly with our, with our palms, with our hands, and we just won't let you have it. I pray that you would give my brothers and sisters the courage to lay it down, to hold it with loose hands so that we can say yes, Lord. No matter what, that we would say yes to you. For some of you, you know exactly what it is that you can't say yes to him about right now. You're struggling with it. Lay it at the altar and say, yes, Lord. Don't hold back anymore. 
Just say yes, Lord. Give it to him and say yes to him. So God, help our church. Help us not to secularize our faith. And I pray that we would realize that the more we say no to you, God, the more further you become in our lives. And so God, teach us the joy and the peace and the hope that there is in saying yes to you. Destroy our desire and our need for comfort today. Destroy our ambitions that become bigger than you. Destroy our traditionalism that often puts you in a box and doesn't let you roam free in how you want us to encounter you in new and fresh ways. Forgive us individually, but forgive us as a church. And for that, God, today, as a church, we will say yes to you. May we never say no. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would help us to always say yes, Lord. And we would experience the joy and the freedom and the healing of what we can encounter today when we say yes to you. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Can you flip over your communication card? There's some next steps I want you to take. The first one, if you pray that prayer about committing yourself and saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, could you please check that off? We'd love to get back to you. Go to the next table and grab a new believer's packet. And one of our staff members, our leaders, would love to just talk with you and pray with you. Second, I'm going to confess an area of my life where I struggle to say yes, Lord, and receive prayer for it. You can do that today as the prayer team comes forward or they're in the back. You can do that today if you'd like. Uh, but it's important that you share an area that you struggle to say yes to Jesus in. It's okay. We all have them. So why don't we share that? Make sure that this week we're going to do that. Third, uh, Connections Dinner next Sunday at my home. If you're interested, please come and learn a little bit more about what Metro is about. It'll be at 4 p.m. September 15th is the partnership class, learning more about what it means to be a member of this church. Uh, just because you take the class doesn't mean you're a partner. So come be a part of it. It'll be on the 15th. You need to be in the Connections Dinner first before you take the partnership class. Uh, last thing is that there is a Metro Olympics on September 8th. It's an opportunity for our church to unite, come together in a beautiful way. Would you please sign up for that? You can do that at the table outside. There's a cost for it. It's going to help to supply food and uh, all the other donations and proceeds will go directly to Zamela Way too. So please think about signing your family up. It's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal time. Don't forget about Englewood Day today. Sunita just texted me. She's got a table out there. She's hoping that a lot of people from our church will show up. Tons of food, lots of vendors there. Also, there's a petting zoo. Guys, it's important that we show up. Why? Because God has called our church to be incarnational presence of Jesus to this city. And so I hope that you guys would just stop in there, stop by, say hi to Sunita, get to know some people in Englewood. It's really important that we make our face known in this city. Let them know that Metro is here to stay. We ain't going anywhere because we've said yes to Jesus, to being here. All right? So make sure you do that.